If you're our guest this morning, we've been preaching through the book of Romans. And it's wonderful when we have guests and we welcome you here today. Today we come to the end of the 12th chapter, our last study in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or inside your program our sermon notes. If you don't have one, put up your hand and Jim will get one to you so that you can follow along and that will be helpful. Our text then is in Romans 12, 14 through 21. I told you earlier in the service that there are those particular passages I sometimes like to skip over in my flesh because they say things to me that I don't want to hear. But we are not those who can pick and choose, pick and choose what portions of the Bible we like. Oh, no, my friend. All of God's Word is for us. So pay close attention and continually surrender your heart to the Lord as we study this together. Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So far, the reading of God's Word. Just over a year ago, in June of 2015, a man named Dylan Roof went to a Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina. And he sat through the Bible study for an hour. And then he took a 45 caliber pistol out of his pocket and he opened fire, and in a matter of minutes, he killed nine people in cold blood and walked out of the church to be captured the next day. And in a moment, nine people lay dead, Christian people there to study the Bible. Wives lost their husbands. Fathers lost their daughters. Husbands and wives, a wife both killed, a church lost her pastor. And for two days, America was stunned and simmering. And then, according to law, came the bond hearing for Dylan Roof, and a closed-circuit television feed was set up in the courthouse... And in the church, 
and CNN and Fox News and all the cable networks broadcast live what transpired at that bond hearing. And America, tense and on edge, heard words of mercy. And person after person spoke into the camera to the murderer. And they said, as their voices shook with grief and anger, I forgive you. Nadine Collier, whose mother had been killed, she said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again, but I forgive you. And I have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But if God forgives, I forgive you. Where does this come from? Do you understand how God in this passage I just read, which says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Do you know what an astounding statement this is? That you would love your enemy and pray for those who have done you wrong. And yet, yet my friend, if you read your Bible, you see moments in the book of Genesis, right? In Genesis, when, uh, when Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery and decades of his life were wasted in stinking prisons, Joseph meets again his brothers, and what does he do? He blesses them and forgives them. David, upon his repentance of murder and adultery, is forgiven and blessed. Stephen the first martyr, as rocks are crushing against his skull, persecuted by the Pharisees, being murdered again innocently, shouts out in Acts 26, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. And our master, Jesus, as he hung on the cross, do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In this church, we have had people stand in this pulpit giving testimony of those who have taken advantage of them, despitefully used them, in spite of love being shown to them, and they have stood and said, God has humbled me and taught me how to bless even those who have used me to my own hurt. There are people, sometimes married to drug addicts or alcoholics, who will love the very one who embarrasses them, washing the vomit off their bodies, disgraced, but they will show love. Where does this come from? It comes from a life changed by Jesus Christ that is able to bless and not curse. And this is the first point of my message this morning. This explosive 
passage that turns my natural instinct upside down. Because when you do me dirty, when you hurt me, when you annoy me, when you frustrate me, or even persecute me, my first instinct is to get even. Because the universe entitles me to justice. Which is true. But then I become like Lamech. Does anybody remember Lamech in the Old Testament? Who was Lamech? He's one of those descendants of Cain who's all about vengeance. And in my soul, I become like Lamech. And Lamech says, you do something to me, I'll do it. You hit me once, I'll hit you seven times. Because our hearts want to get even and to punish. What does Paul say? What does Jesus say? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse And Jesus is the one who taught the Apostle Paul. Paul is not simply getting a good idea about how to be nice. Paul has learned from Jesus who spoke in the Sermon on the Mount early in his ministry these these astounding words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of of your Father in heaven. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, when Jesus says this to his disciples, he is assuming something about his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you're here, I hope you're a disciple of Jesus, but maybe you're not. You're just exploring who Jesus is, or maybe somebody made you come to church today. But but here's something Jesus assumes about his disciples, and it's this. That they pray. That they're praying people. Are you a praying person? Disciples of Jesus are constant in prayer, it said last week in our past. Disciples of Jesus are those who, are, who throughout the day are engaged with God. And we are engaged with God. We, we want to walk with God throughout the day. And then somebody insults us, is rude to us, is mean to us, betrays us, and we... Jesus assumes we're praying. What do we do? He says we pray for them and we bless them. And our hearts are so taken with God that that becomes our response. Me and my flesh, I'm like a dog. You come and you step on a dog's tail. The dog turns and bites you in the leg. And some of you are so quick to fight. Some of you are so quick to curse. You react and curse. And I understand that. But not the disciple of Jesus who's praying. Why? Why would you not do that? Because he says, verse 45, you are children of your Father in heaven. You have been adopted into God's family by Jesus Christ, your older brother who opened the door so that you could come home to God and know Him as your Father. You're a child of God. Now, there's going to be more about this in point three, but before he drives it home in verses 15 and 16, and this is point two, the Apostle Paul talks, he writes about how his disciples generally interact with people. 
And before you consider the unthinkable of blessing your enemy, Paul says, let me just remind you about the relational wisdom of the disciple of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? I hope so. Because if you were half awake a third of the time in our studies this summer, you remember we studied all about relational wisdom and what it means to be people living together and living as as disciples of Jesus. And there are three components to relational wisdom. What are they? God, self, and others. And what did we learn over a a couple of months? What did we learn is that you and I are to live our lives God-aware and God-engaged, self-aware, paying attention to the impulses and movement of our soul, self-aware and self-engaged. And then, surprise, surprise, we actually become other-aware and other-engaged as we love our neighbor. And now Paul is talking, and he lays out four, four things that are true about the disciple of Jesus in, in his other awareness and other engagement, and that's verses 15 and 16. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so he's, he's, he's speaking to us about four ways that you are to bless other people. He talks about empathy, harmony, humility, and what I call the Will Rogers common touch. Just look at these verses here. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And we learned this summer that that is the essence of empathy, that I am not just self-preoccupied, but I see you rejoicing, and I rejoice with you, and I see you struggling, I see you weeping, and I come alongside you, and I weep with you. And I know in this church family, I'm so proud to be a pastor in a church like this, we are very good at weeping with those who weep in this church coming alongside those who are struggling. We're not perfect at it. I'm not saying that we are. I know we aren't. But but if you've ever been to a funeral here in this church, we take time to weep with those who are weeping. Even though we have hope in the gospel and joy in the Lord, we weep with those who weep. But, my friends, it's not always so easy to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Uh, someone told me about a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson who, who says, you know, sometimes Christians are good at weeping with those who weep, but they find it very hard to rejoice with those who rejoice when somebody else gets the promotion at work, when somebody else gets engaged to be married, when somebody else gets asked to the prom, when somebody else gets a big inheritance It's not always because of our selfish flesh. It's not always so easy to rejoice with those who rejoice, but the disciple of Jesus learns not to just think about themselves, but to delight in the blessings that that fall on our neighbors and friends. And Paul says that should be you, empathy. And then he speaks of harmony. He says live in harmony with one another. And all that means is that Christians... 
should be easy to get along with. Is that true of you? Are you easy to get along with? Live in harmony. Are you the kind of person that is a C major chord, or are you just splashing your hands on the keyboard? Live in harmony. Some of us are disagreeable. Some of us are contrarian. Some of us have an impulse. You say up, I say down. You say blue, I say black. You say red, I say white. But even if you disagree with someone, the Bible says the Christian lives in harmony. There are ways even to disagree in a way that is sweet disarming. Is that you? Or does God need to do business with you? Even with your adversary, do you live in harmony? He just goes straight to humility. Do not be haughty and don't be wise in your own eyes. What is that? What's that? He's talking about pride, the sin of the devil, pride. And, and maybe you remember a couple weeks ago I preached from Romans 12 verse 3. What does that verse say? You know, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, it says um, that you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather to think of yourself with sober judgment, humbling yourself. Why is that so important? Well, pride and arrogance are destructive to human relationships, especially to a marriage, especially in a marriage, in a family, especially in a church. When people are proud and arrogant, but I'll tell you where pride and arrogance really is so destructive, and it is in conflict. Because when you have an adversary, and you rise up above them in your own righteousness, and you, in your superiority, have communicated how small you think the other person is. Do they ever say, oh, I guess in this fight, I, I guess I should just agree with this one who is so wonderful and has positioned themselves so proudly above me. Does anyone ever do that? Never. Do not be haughty. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And in a conflict, that is like taking gasoline and what? Throwing it on the fire. So he says, be willing to associate with those of low degree. What is that? I call it the Will Rogers common touch. Now, does anybody here remember Will Rogers? Actually, that was even before my time, but my father loved Will Rogers. And Will Rogers was a, a folk hero in America, and, and America loved Will Rogers because of his great saying. What was the great saying of Will Rogers? He used to say, I never met a man I didn't like. And what he was getting at is he just always saw the best in people. He always enjoyed whoever he was talking to. They were special to him. I don't know if you know, but this week Arnold Palmer died. 
Arnold Palmer was one of my heroes. He was from Pittsburgh. I was from Pittsburgh. My dad and I were his fans. And Arnold Palmer changed the landscape of American sports and golf in particular because he won the hearts of the common man. And Scott Van Pelt on ESPN this week was giving a tribute to Arnold Palmer. I was watching, and and he tells the story of a day when Arnold Palmer was in his office, now a multimillionaire, owning uh, all kinds of enterprises and golf courses and businesses, and there was an old bricklayer who was just doing a little contract on the property. And the bricklayer came and knocked on Arnold's office door as Van Pelt was waiting to interview him. And Van Pelt said, I I wasn't eavesdropping, but Arnold came to the door and the, the bricklayer said in broken English, Mr. Palmer, I just wanted to shake your hand. They shook hands and then he said, can I hold your hand a little longer? Because it was, you could see it was such an honor for him to meet such a great man. Van Pelt said, I watched. Nobody else was looking. Nobody else was paying attention. And I watched Arnold held onto the one hand and embraced the man with his arm. Looked him right in the eye and said, I am so glad you're a part of our team here today. It's an honor to know you. Because Arnold Palmer could associate with anyone. And if you met him, you were his buddy. What a beautiful man. The Bible says, Christian, Christian, that is to be you. Filled with empathy, a person of harmony, exuding humility with the Will Rogers common touch. This is how we are to live as disciples of our Master For you see, Jesus was this way. He never preached and then didn't practice it. We are told, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, you read this passage, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The ultimate empathy is being made like us. The ultimate humility, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. The ultimate harmony, taking on human form and living like we live. The ultimate of the common touch, he became a servant, the bricklayer the Dalit in India, the lowest of the low, Jesus was humble. And now his mind is to be in us, his disciples. And that leads us into point three. Turn over your outline. Because you see in verses 17 through 20, now Paul drives home what he began in verse 14. When he's talking to us about how to deal with difficult people. And he writes a very quick sentence, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Isn't that interesting? Two quick thoughts right there. Don't repay evil for evil. Figure out how to do what is honorable. And 
It's, it's, the, the main point is don't react impulsively, but think and act thoughtfully. A friend of mine in Philadelphia posted an article on Huffington, from Huffington Post uh, uh, this week. I'm not usually a big fan of the Huffington Post, but, but this article was written not by a Christian. It was written by someone full of regrets. My friend posted this because uh, she's a mother of teenagers. There's lots of drama. And she has a high-powered job as a senior nurse at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia where there's lots of drama and tension. And she said, I have so many regrets because of how I react to people instead of learning how to act thoughtfully as I engage them. And she talks, she writes with regret about how she snaps at her husband and treats him like a fool. How she reacts to her children and crushes their spirit. How she pushes the pedal down on the car and screeches the tires as she leaves the house in anger. It, it, it was very profound. It's just, I wish I could tell her. Have you read Romans 12, verse 17? It says, give thought. She said, here's the title of the article. It was, wait three seconds before you respond. She said, I could have saved so much heartache if I just wait three seconds and think how to respond. And that's what Paul is saying here as he picks up this matter again. And then verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as it depends on you. And I know, I know, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I've tried, but they keep coming after me. And sometimes, sometimes you aren't the problem. Sometimes the problem is the other person. But as far as you are able, whatever you can do, figure it out. Learn how to live at peace with all people. Some of you will live with grudges for years. Some of you will nurse grudges for decades. The Bible says no. The Spirit-filled disciple of Jesus, as far as it is on your side, will step across the chasm, across the gulf, and say, hatred from my side is over. Be at peace with all. This is then, then comes the verse. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And it's right here that this old heart, this heart needs renewal. And I know I'm not the only one that would, that would say that, that I need to recognize that there is a truth, and that is that there is a God, and that God will ultimately right all the wrongs. Do you believe this? If you're here today and you're an atheist, if you're watching online and you're an atheist, live streaming, and there is no God, <laughs> then there ain't no justice in the end. You got to do whatever you, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. If there is no God, 
But since there is a God who has revealed Himself, and He is just and He is right, do not worry. There is nothing that has escaped His eye. He has seen it all, and He will bring to pass justice in the world. As uh, when Christ comes again on that great and terrible day of the Lord, He says, quoting from Deuteronomy, Vengeance is mine, never forget. And you see, my friends, Douglas Moo, his great commentary on the book of Romans, he says, if we try to exact revenge ourselves, we transgress onto territory that God has reserved for Himself. So when you are like Lamech, and when your impulse is to be the judge and the executioner, you stop and you say, God, this is yours, not mine. Does that make sense to you? See, this is what Paul is saying. Why? Because there is a God. But you say, who can live this way? It's so humbling to live this way. It's so hard to live this way. I don't like living this way. Where does the power come from? And the answer is in the first word of verse 19. What is the first word of verse 19? Do you see it there? It's the word beloved. Beloved. And this, Paul is not just making an, a, a statement of affection for them. He is speaking about the state of their soul before the living God, and he is saying to the Roman Christians, you need to know this, you are beloved. And before you can bless those who persecute you or forgive those who've done you dirty or hurt them, you need to know something first. And so it's at the beginning of the sentence. What is it? You are beloved in the beloved Son of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you know this here today. You see, I wish you had been here for the first, our studies of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Because the entire book of Romans is summed up in this one word. You, in Christ, are beloved. Nothing can separate you from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You are beloved. Do you know this today? Or are you unmoved? Who could be unmoved? Only the reprobate can be unmoved by the love of God poured out in the cross for them. Oh, He loves you. He loves you so much. And He appointed that His love would fall on you before the foundation of the earth. He loved you so much He gave His Son to die for you. And Christ willingly laid down His life in front of His enemies to be crucified a horrible death for you. He loves you. Are you unmoved by this today? Do not be unmoved, but rather let your heart respond with worship and acceptance of Him. You are beloved. And you can't do anything to make Him love you more. Where you're sitting, you don't have to move an inch to the right or an inch to the left. You can never make Him love you anymore. He loves you because He loves you. Oh, my friend. Verse 20 suddenly becomes easy. To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. 
James Boyce calls this the active, the doing of active goodness. The doing of active goodness. It becomes our practice. Kids, when your brother annoys you, do good to him. Husbands, when your wife disrespects you, do good to her with a smile. Wives, when your husband is harsh with you, do good to them. Feed him. Give him something to drink. When your boss is rude, treat him with respect. When your employee is negligent, go ahead and encourage his soul. Do good. Act of goodness. That's the role of the Christian at this point. Oh, Listen, I have to say one thing. I have to say one thing. Make it very clear. Wake up for this. If you're abused, if someone assaults you, call the police. Call the police. Being a Christian does not mean you take an assault. No, you say, didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Listen, when Jesus said turn the other cheek, he was talking about accepting and insult with humility. He was not talking about receiving an assault. The Bible is clear. If you're assaulted, you have the right to call the police, and so you should. And next week we get to Romans 13, and we will see God gave the sword to the state to ensure justice and safety for its citizens. That's fitting and proper. It's fine. But you do not become the judge and the executioner. Even the people in Charleston, South Carolina, did not say to the police officer standing next to Dillon, oh, let him go, let him go, we don't care about what the courts or the police. They didn't do that. They simply rose to bless and to forgive him, and the courts would do what they will do. But you, my friends, you, my friends, are called to do good to those who hurt you, Because Jesus did this for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. So we do the same. And then point four. This great chapter finishes with the statement, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This has been a remarkable chapter. I've had the privilege of preaching through Romans 12. But you remember, I hope it was a blessing to you, we began this chapter by presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to God our Father. And then we conclude the chapter by sacrificing ourselves even for our enemies. And we marvel. North Shore Community Church, we are people who marvel at the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes selfish, self-preoccupied people and turns us into disciples of Jesus who even want to bless our enemies. This is extraordinary. What a moment we've come to in our study of the great book of Romans. And I hope you marvel at the beauty and power of the gospel that teaches and proves that love is stronger than hate Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, Paul is saying, you stand with your feet in two worlds. One foot is in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. The other foot continues in this world which is soaked with evil, and it is evil. We're not in denial. 
One foot in heaven, one foot in a world that is fraught with evil. But evil will not triumph. And it must, be not, it must not be allowed to triumph in your life and in my life. If you repay evil for evil, evil wins. But you, when the love of God takes hold of you, you are not just resisting evil. You are triumphing over evil. And, it, and the love of God wins. Every phrase, every phrase in this verse convicted me. Did it convict you? Every phrase showed me where I fall short, but every phrase drove me to Jesus Christ. And it did. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who ever fulfilled this passage. And He did it perfectly. The, the standard of God says, bless your enemies, and Jesus blessed His enemies. Did Jesus weep with those who wept? He did. At the grave of Lazarus, we are told, Jesus wept. Did Jesus rejoice? It tells us Jesus rejoiced as His disciples were discovering truths about God, and their hearts were full of joy. And Jesus says, I rejoice with them. Did Jesus feed His enemies? Surely among the 5,000 and the 4,000 that he fed that day were those who would rise up and shout, crucify him. And even at the Last Supper, Judas, the one who would betray him, and Peter, the one who would deny him, he fed them. Oh, Jesus. Was Jesus wise in his own eyes? This is interesting. Jesus was not wise in his own eyes. Even though... Paul says in Colossians 2, all wisdom is hidden in Christ. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own. I only do what my Father tells me to do. There was this humble submission in Jesus Christ. He was humble. He was not haughty. And did he associate with the lowly? Well, he associates with us. You and you and you and you. He is not ashamed to call you his sister, his brother. And he went to the poor widow who had nothing, to the leper who was unclean, to the blind man who was despised and begging, and he loved them. Jesus Christ, did he overcome evil with good? Did he? In the matchless cross, at that moment, when the fury of the wrath of God, which is coming, the wrath of God which is coming, but for His elect, for His people, the wrath of God fell on Jesus Christ, sinfully murdered by His enemies. And He took the worst crime ever committed. And, and out of it, He overcame the evil by His triumphant resurrection and brought good to the world. That is our Jesus. Do you love Jesus today? I love Him so much. Somebody's sitting here and they're saying, the preacher's telling me I need to be more of a loving person. That is not what the... It's true. You and I both need to become more loving people. But before you can ever be more of a loving person, you must first be a more loved person. That's why he says it at the beginning of verse 7. You must first be a more loved person. 
receiving the love of God in Jesus Christ for you. Have you done that? Have you done that? Open your heart to His love this day. Would you do that? Every one of us, not just at some atheist who happened to stumble in here. Every one of you now. Do you know how great is the Father's love for you and for me? It will have its effect in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. To close, I'm going to take us back to Charleston. For in the few days that followed that remarkable broadcast on CNN and Fox News of those Christian people forgiving the one who murdered their loved ones, were there any riots? The riots of Ferguson, the looting in Baltimore. Were there any riots in Charleston? What happened in Charleston? Thousands, 5,000. 10,000. The police said 15,000 people, black and white, men and women, old and young, crossed the Revenal Bridge, extending from the town of Mount Pleasant to the center of the city of Charleston, arm in arm, holding hands, singing hymns, rising together, saying, Love will conquer hate, hate shall not win. And I watched Andrew Cuomo on CNN's this morning, and he was like, where's the looting? What's going on? He said, I quote, how do you explain what's happening in Charleston? And I wanted to leap off the couch and say, it's Jesus Christ. It's the love in the church of Jesus Christ that is triumphant in this day and has made all the difference. Now, what about you? Will you let evil win or will you join hands wherever you are, and say, Christ will triumph over evil through me. Let's pray that He will do this. I know He will do this in you and in me. Let's believe. Let's trust Him. Call on His name. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, I want to thank You and praise You that we are beloved in you. We're beloved. It says that you loved us and gave yourself for us. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. And I ask, Lord, for my own poor heart, for the hearts of my friends here, that you will afresh Pour out your love into our hearts so that where we experience persecution, hardship, betrayal, irritation, and annoyance, we will not react, but we will give thought to what is honorable. And we will bless, and our tongues will be strangely Transform. This is our prayer. You will transform our tongues so that we will bless because you chose not to curse us, but you chose to bless us. And your good will triumph over evil. Oh, we praise you, Lord Jesus. You are the captain of this enterprise. You are the captain 
of this march. You are the one who is out in front leading us on, and we tell you this day we will follow. We need you. We call on you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.